Link's latest challenge is set on the mysterious Koholin Island, a place where dreams and reality collide. As a castaway, Link must find a way to escape from the island and return to his beloved homeland of Hyrule. This will not be an easy task. The island's inhabitants have no knowledge of the outside world. One creature, a talking owl, may know of the solution to Link's dilemma. Link must first tackle eight dungeons full of treacherous monsters and tricky traps. His goal? To find the eight instruments of the sirens and awake the omnipotent windfish, which rules and the And yeah, a windfish goes great with a little lemon, a little butter, a little garlic salt, and you saute that in a pan. Mmm, take it right to Flavortown. Now you're playing with power, super power. Sonic 2 handles stubborn stains, embarrassing bald spots, no problem. Warning, incoming game. Two best friends get sent back to the year 1990X. Now they have to play games the old school way. No guides, no internet. No way! This is the Retro Reset Podcast. Call in game tips at 747-21-RESET. That's 747-217-3738. Ask your parents for help. Hello everyone and welcome to Retro Reset, the podcast where we are hitting reset on our brains and playing games like it's 1990X. No guides, no walkthroughs, and no internet. I'm Alan Jenkins and with me is my co-host Kyle McCluskey. Hello. Let me explain a little bit about the show and how it works before we start. Every other week we're going to play a different video game in a time capsule environment trying to recreate the experience you would have had in the 80s or 90s. In those days, in our childhood, uh, we didn't have game facts, we didn't have internet guides or walkthroughs just two clicks away at any given time. Sometimes you'd rent a game at Blockbuster for the weekend and good or bad, you were stuck with it. Sometimes without a manual, and even those weren't always helpful. Uh, in some episodes, we'll finish the game and give you a deep dive into its history, advertising, gameplay, and the whole nine yards. Sometimes we'll be just giving our first impressions of a game we just couldn't finish. Either way, we're going to try and recreate the experience of playing the game before the internet and let you know whether it's still worth playing today. Another aspect of the show is just resetting our own gaming brains. Exploration and discovery are big parts of what make games exciting and fun, and we think that the internet walkthroughs are taking some of the joy out of playing video games away. We're just as guilty as anyone else. So we want to go back and reclaim the sense of excitement and hobby, the, and the hobby that we've loved since we were young. <laughs> uh, we really hope you'll play along with us, too, and that's why we set up the Retro Reset Tip Hotline. In our childhood, you either got your hot gaming tips from Nintendo Power or a 900 number that would run up the phone bill and get you grounded, or from friends on the playground who had beaten the game or were totally lying about it to you. To recreate that playground rumor mill part of the experience, you guys can call in or text to 747-21-RESET with your tips, tricks, secrets, and memories about the next episode's game, and we will play them or read them at the end of the show. Uh, that is 747-217-3738 or retroresetpod at gmail.com. In two weeks, we're going to be playing Final Fantasy Mystic Quest on the Super NES, so get those calls in soon. Yep, and just another side note, if um, you want to leave any sort of hints or anything like that on the hotline and you want to hear, have a chance to have your uh, voicemail or text read on the show, just make sure to keep it PG-13, please. Yeah, this is a family show, for the most part. It's, it's for fam, fam. <laughs> we get uh, we get one F-bomb uh, a year. Yeah, so. we're allowed one. We're not, yeah. we're not spoiling them on the first one. Yeah, we're not going to waste no. them on the first show, dude. <laughs> nah. Uh, so we'll wait until we get to Bubsy 2. Oh, totally, totally. Yeah. Uh, so um, tell me, Kyle, uh, just to give me some background, what is your sort of gaming history? What's your um, What are your qualifications to be on this show? 
Uh, well, I've been playing video games since I was a child. Uh, mm-hmm. Started out with the old Super Nintendo. I think my first, one of my first games was linked to the past. So, I know a thing or two about Zelda. Oh, okay. for sure. Just so uh, mm-hmm. we are, we're playing uh, Link uh, Link's Awakening today on the oh, Game yeah. Boy Color. Maybe we should, yeah, we're playing that today. I probably should have mentioned that earlier, but whatever. <laughs> totally. <laughs> uh, it's all right. But, uh, yeah. Um, so for me, I I've also been playing games since I was a little kid. My earliest memory is of playing Sonic One. Um, on the Sega Genesis at my uncle's house. Um, I just I was really, really young, and he let me play the special stages so I wouldn't mess up uh, his game, I guess. Of course. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I'm uh, both of us are collectors. Uh, both of us are retro collectors, so we have a pretty extensive collection of consoles and games, as well as um, we, we try to play on original hardware as much as possible. So as far as retro games go, you know, we have a big history with those, and it's it's something that we both really enjoy. We've gone on road trips. We actually oh, did yeah. a, do- a documentary about hunting for retro games once. Yeah. What, do you remember what it was called? Uh, it was called Retro Game The Road Trip. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah good times. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was really fun. That was a while ago, but it was a blast. Yeah. It was when, super, when this, super fun. When this podcast takes off, maybe we'll go on the road and do it again. I would love to do another version of that um, that road trip. We, we didn't have a ton of time, so we did mostly uh, local game stores. And at the time, the prices at those were a lot better than they are now. Um, even then, the retro gaming bubble hadn't gotten uh, as big as it is today. Um, things are just so expensive. Everything's way inflated. Uh, Especially in Super Nintendo, it's insane. For sure. Back in that those days, I got Chrono Trigger for, I think, $60. Um, just no no box or anything. And now without a box, it's about, uh, I think, I haven't checked the prices lately, but it's been as much as $200 in recent months for, for just a loose cartridge, which yeah. is, it's insane. So, uh, like I said, we, we try to play on original hardware on this show just because we... Um, we really like original hardware, and uh, again, we're trying to recreate that experience. Uh, for this episode, we played on the 3DS uh, Virtual Console, um, so you know we we just didn't have the the time or the um, ability to get the game <laughs> on on its original console. Or you could be like me and buy the Japanese version, and not realize that you can play on the Japanese version. <laughs> it was a mistake. I thought yeah, maybe you-, you know what I can figure it out. Yeah. I could just guess it's not that hard. It's a Zelda game. And then I screwed it up. I, I got like 10 minutes in and got lost. Yeah, a big part of, of Link's Awakening is the text. And we'll, we'll get some more into that uh, when we start the show. Um, so, yeah, we've, you know, we're, we're big gamers and we're big retro gamers. And we hope that you'll play along, uh, that you can do this as sort of a book club. If you want to play along with the game that we're playing, uh, we, you know, we'd love that. And we'd love to have you participate because this is sort of a, a community show. Heck, yeah. All right, man. Uh, without any further ado, let's get into it. All right. And as you said before, we are going to be playing Link's Awakening and not just any Link's Awakening. We're playing the Director's Cut. Yes, DX. I didn't know DX D- stood for Director's Cut until I was an adult. Yeah, I know. It took me forever to figure that out. I think the first game I figured that out on was uh, Sonic Adventures 2 DX or whatever. Uh huh. I was like, "What the heck does DX mean? Like, what is this?" And, and it says like, oh, director. It says director's cut on the box for that one. I know. That's how I figured it out because it uh, said it, it on the box. Uh, it actually means dildo xylophone. I don't know oh, if you knew that. I thought it was like duck crossing. <laughs> no, no, the no. X no. can mean crossing, but that dildo xylophone makes a lot more sense. Like, yeah, yeah. I see where you're coming from. <laughs> anyway, 
So right. uh, just a, a, a brief a brief history on the game. It's got a, some interesting information. I think it came out in 1993. I think it was 1993 when the original one came out, and then the DX version came out. Yeah, the, the DX version came out later. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact date, but... Um, it was November, uh, sorry, it was December, I think December 17th of 1998, right around the same time as Ocarina of Time, uh, which came out a month before. Yeah. Interesting tidbit information about it, though. Uh, whenever Link's Awakening was first being developed, it was developed as like a uh, as like a pet project that they did really? while they were developing Link of the Past. They were just kind of doing it on the side as like a like a like something that they were just passionate about and wanted to do for fun. Oh, that's and then really it eventually cool. came out as a game. I thought that was pretty interesting. You can kind of tell. It, it's it's definitely, and not in a bad way, I, I mean that uh, you can tell that they put a lot of heart and soul into it and that they really, they did it because they wanted to, uh, not because they had to. Yeah, and, uh, the, and as far as like the general reception and stuff concerned, uh, the game did pretty well across pretty much all the boards, so... I mean that's not a big surprise. It was I think it would think it was Zelda's first foray foray. I guess the original Link's Awakening, let me preface, was the first foray onto a handheld console and it did great. The mm-hmm. DX version, all the DX version really did was added a few tidbits and made it in color. And it made right. it Game Boy printer compatible, which I think is pretty big. Yeah, uh, and also added an extra dungeon which is uh, based on colors. Colors, beautiful, beautiful colors. The colors, Duke. The colors. Because it was for the Game Boy Color, after all. Got to use well, those yeah. colors. You gotta have, yeah, gotta have colors, man. Gotta have those colors. Um, of course, there was a, a special edition of the game, the DX version, um, and uh, they're coming out with a, a remake, uh, like yep. a full remake, pretty soon on the Switch, which I'm pretty excited about now that I've played this game. So, haha, guys, this is topical for the time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. topical, but still evergreen. See? We're on it. <laughs> We're the first ones, first ones to talk about it. And do oh the yeah, nobody right else, now. nobody else is talking about Link's Awakening right now. We're yep. totally the only ones. Yep. <laughs> um, so the commercials that came out around the time um, are pretty interesting. Uh, the first one that we both looked at was the Japanese one, and it's definitely a Japanese commercial. I would yeah. say it's it's pretty crazy. Uh, it's got a lot of like wacky adventures in it. Um, but you sort of see Link on the beach, and he's a puppet. Uh, he's very colorful, and you see puppet versions of all these characters, like uh, Marin and, and Taryn, um, and uh, some of the enemies. And um, it's it's really interesting and fun. And, and like, if I was a kid, I would definitely be enamored yeah. by it. I think it's pretty cool. We play yeah. some of it on the show, but it it's just audio of Japanese like words and sound yeah, effects. Really hard to, it's yeah. hard to interpret. There's uh, a lot of puppets and mm-hmm. there's a lot going on and it's super colorful and happy sounding. Yeah. And they're all like marionettes and it's, it's really it neat. Definitely appeals to the younger market. They did a good job there. Although it is a little For confusing. Sure. A lot of mm-hmm. Japanese commercials are confusing even nowadays. So <laughs> yeah, it's fine. If you, if you know Japanese, it's probably like, Oh yeah, this is genius. But yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Cause I'm some lowly English speaker. Yeah. So uh, we also have the um, American commercial, which is sort of like a, a gangster rap version. Yeah. What was that? We'll, we'll play a little bit of it here. Down with Zelda from the very start. I got the heart. It's Mars to play the part. Down with Zelda. Peeping through with thin overhead view. Because a man's got to do what a man's got to do. It's just, so it's just a dude doing what he got to do. A man, or is he saying a man's got to do? Yeah, what a man's he gotta he do. keeps saying like Link's got to do what Link's got to do, or something like that. It's 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 crazy. It's it's um, 
He's it's in a very nineties. Yeah, it's very weird. Like I, I guess they kind of went with the medieval theme where they're like, oh, this is a medieval, you know, world, and and Link is a you know is a knight or something, which is not really how I've ever interpreted Zelda. Neither. I, I, I get I get that it is kind of medieval and that there's swords, but it's to me it's it's more of a I would not call it a medieval fantasy. I would call it a sword and sorcery tale, right? Yeah, um, which is a little bit different. Uh, but the whole medieval thing, maybe they were just trying to appeal to the biggest market. I feel like um, like King Arthur was a big thing when we were kids. Um, yeah, it was did it come out around the same time as Ghouls and Ghosts? Maybe I don't know. No, I don't think so. Ghouls like, Ghost was, was older. Say, it was an arcade was, game and then an NES game. Maybe it was piggybacking off of a popular movie at the time. Or maybe. A it was really trend. weird. I don't know. And, it and was they strange. Had, they, had a, they had a projection screen of like scenes from the game all over the place, but it was hard to see because everything's being filtered through like these like medieval bricks. So it's like, I don't know what's happening. What is in this game? But I guess it was still a big deal because it's Zelda on a handheld, and it it really truly is a full adventure, um, which at the time would be just a huge difference. Um, yeah. So, what about the? What did you think about the British commercial, dude? Hi, Rick Mail here. I don't know if you're like me, immensely rich, talented, handsome. Isn't it a bore? Well, I found the answer. Zelda Link's Awakening from Nintendo. You play a medieval elf named Link who uh, travels through many worlds, meeting endless yeah, characters that was, on your eternal adventure. That was strange. Was that like, just some dude playing on a piano and walks out yeah, and like, he's like, so this guy and proper that and then proper this? Yeah. Uh, it's so, very British. That's the only thing I could say about it. Yeah, he's like, hi, I'm special and you should listen to me. Go yeah, ahead and play Zelda. what was that guy's Zelda. name? I forget. He, he did a bunch of uh, uh, Game Boy commercials at the time. He references himself over and over again in the commercial. And at the yes. end of the commercial, you're not like, you're not like, oh my god, wow, Link's Awakening commercial. You're like, who the heck is that? But then again, we're not from Britain, right. so maybe it's different. And you know, he, he also refers to Link as a medieval elf. Yeah. Which, again, really the weird theme. choice. I, 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 I feel like they're just trying to connect it to things that people understand. Which, like, to me, at this point in history, is unnecessary. People know Zelda. Right. Zelda was one of the biggest phenomenons in history for the NES and Zelda Two. people were lined up for. You see old news footage of that. People lined the crap up for Zelda Two because it was such a phenomenon. People know what Zelda is at this point, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, even the even the 80s commercials, I feel like were a little better. You know, that old commercial where um, they're rapping about NES Zelda. The yeah. Legend of Zelda is really rad. Ganon's baddies are really bad or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll play some of it. But, um, you know, they talk about things like you would talk to a child who already understands, like, this is cool. It's a guy with a sword and you're on an adventure, right? The commercials for Link's Awakening feel like they're trying to capitalize on trends where, you know, the, the old rap commercial does too. But at least it speaks in the language of somebody who already, you know, likes Nintendo. Yeah. You know what it I mean? It seems like, yeah. It, it seemed to be that was kind of like a weird dark era in commercials and video games where they couldn't really figure out which market to advertise it to. Should they be pushing yeah. it on people who are already playing Nintendo games, who are not playing Nintendo games yet, or to the parents that pay for it? Right. Children totally. or adults, they can't figure it out. And, and that's why it's yeah. kind of a little... I think Japan got it right. I think of the three... The, the commercial sure. that would most make me want to buy Link's Awakening is the Japanese one. Because it's yeah, just fun. Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's sword, super fun. Hello, talking and Owl, it, I'm in. 
Yeah, definitely. And it and it's colorful and it expresses like the mood of the game, I think pretty well. Yeah. Cuz I mean, it's, but yeah, if you're going to look off off the American one and you're like, okay, this is going to be the mood setter. It's going to be right. like if I was to pretend I didn't know anything about it and I saw the commercial I'd be like, wow, you know, this game's going to be dark and gritty. And right. and it kind of gives off the hint that it might be at the beginning cuz you go into like We'll get into right. we go into a mysterious forest first, you know, whatever, and right. and then you realize that that's not it at all. It's actually like it's a game about having fun. You're, I mean, it's, it's yeah. it can have some dark undertones. We'll go into later. We'll, yes, we'll it, does, it definitely has later, it definitely but. has some undercurrents uh, of darkness, which uh, was pointed out by uh, a listener that we'll we'll get to at the end. Um, but yeah, but it's a generally happy game. It's, it's very yeah. colorful. I mean, in the DX version, maybe in the black and white it'll be a little bit different. But in the DX version, it's you can tell like right. I don't know. And, From and my know, perspective, it looks colorful more than it does like weird and dark and medieval. Totally, totally. And you know, speaking to um, the DX version. Uh, the DX version did not get a lot of good um, advertising. Uh, just moving on to talking about maybe some uh, magazine appearances. The first um, Link's Awakening was uh, kind of a banner moment for the Game Boy, right? You get a, a full adventure. This isn't, you know, Super Mario Land where it's kind of this dumbed down, hard to play version of Mario. Uh, Super Mario Land is a great game for the Game Boy. Uh, Link's Awakening is a great game for the Zelda series. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it's this huge moment in in Game Boy history. Uh, the DX version was released for the Game Boy Color about a month after um, the uh, the huge game Ocarina of Time, which just sort of took over everything at the time. Yeah. I remember like everybody knew about it. It was having commercials in movie theaters. Right. Um, Link's Awakening did not get the same press attention, especially as its first appearance in Nintendo Power number 50. Um, so Link's Awakening, right before it is released, gets an appearance in Nintendo Power number number 50. It's got this really cool owl cover with a bejeweled sword in it. And it has a guide to, uh, I think, the first three um, dungeons. Um, uh, or at least like a, a good chunk of the first part of the game. Uh, and it's actually very helpful if you're playing uh, the original game. Uh, the DX version, um, however, if you look at the uh, issues of Nintendo Power from November of 1998, December of 1998, and January of 1998, um, they don't even refer to Link's Awakening DX by the correct name. Oh, they yeah? Refer to it, yeah, they refer to it as Link's Awakening for Game Boy Color. Oh. And... They don't have, like, guides for it. Um, they go through and have... I think there there was a moment where they had, like, a little guide, but it was for the old game. They were talking about Link, the original Link's Awakening. Um, so it just wasn't uh, the same marketing push. I didn't see any, you know, ad pages for it. Uh, and this is a launch title for the Game Boy Color, which came out that same year. It was in the launch window. Uh, yeah. I think the Game Boy Color came out in October of, of 1998. So you you have this kind of, like... It was almost like the stepchild, you know, because you have Ocarina of Time, right? This big, huge release. And you've just got this remake on the side, which I feel didn't get as much play. I know it sucks, too, because I think if they would have advertised DX a little bit more in uh-huh. the Game Boy Color thing, uh, because obviously they're going to be more distracted about Ocarina of Time because, like, like, oh, right. yeah, you know, this is going to push our console. But I think they probably would have pushed a lot more Game Boy Colors if they would have pushed DX harder. 
Yeah, I feel like the Game Boy Color had some issues selling. I I've read about that before. Um, I personally had a Game Boy Color. I had a. I still have it somewhere. It's in storage right now. But I had the Pikachu edition. Um, yeah, the Pokemon games also kind of. I mean, they, right. they eventually also helped with the sales because I remember right. going through middle school. A lot of people had Game Boy Colors. All they could talk right. about was Pokemon. They didn't like that. Might have been another reason as to why right. DX didn't get a lot of love because Pokemon really blew up around the same time. That's true. Pokemon became this huge powerhouse then, and I got uh, I got my first my first Game Boy was a Game Boy Color, um, the Pikachu edition, yeah. um, and that was when Game Boy Color really really took off. But you know, all of the Game Boy games except for Crystal are are, are playable on original Game Boy. Gold and silver do not require the color to play. Um, mm. So it's it's one of those things where they're enhanced when you play it on the Game Boy Color. But I, I don't know. The Game Boy Color, maybe we're getting down a rabbit hole with that. But it feels like they kind of didn't, they didn't really push it as much as they did the Game Boy. Um, and I, I think people also maybe were like, when is it going to have a backlight, right? Sega yeah. had a backlight, you know, however many years ago. When is the Game Boy going to have a backlight, for God's sake? And even Japan, Japan, they they had a lit Game Boy Pocket. Yeah. Like, why is the Game Boy Color still not backlit? They didn't backlight until they got to the Game Boy Advance SP. It's ridiculous. Yeah, Japan's always been at least like five, ten years ahead of us as far as that is concerned. Yeah. They're going to get prioritized treatment over us when it comes to video game consoles. I sort of... Absolutely. Yeah. uh, It isn't as true today. It's not as true today, but... Um, definitely back then we were kind of the redheaded stepchild and we it, didn't get everything. It also might have to do with like local patents. I don't know. Yeah. Cause like Game Gear was the only one that had it. I don't know if it was because of like, like because Game Gear was like patented that technology and they had to find a workaround or something like that. It, regardless, I'm fine mm-hmm. with it because you know, Game Gear f- had it and all, but it would go through eight AA batteries in 10 minutes. So, I mean, it really that's, wouldn't that's true. You could have, you know, I remember cannibalizing batteries from my parents, you know, remotes all the time for my Game Boy Color. And, I, I complain about it now, and you know I'm trying to mod a, a Game Boy Advance to uh, to have a backlight, just because I love the design of that console. But they were great; they had amazing games. Um, so you dealt with the fact that you had to like shine it in the light just right in order to play. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, what about the uh, manual and the box art and stuff? What do you think about that? The box art? Well, it depends on which one uh, we're talking about. If we're talking about the Lynx mm-hmm. Awakening DX in the U.S. one, it looks like Link to the Past. It does. It looks exactly like Link to the Past and Zelda 2 and the original Zelda. Yeah. They which, didn't really deviate very far. Yeah. It, it And it looks clean. I'll admit. It looks clean and it has a mysterious quality to it. I remember seeing uh, a cartridge for... Um, uh, Link to the past when I was uh, in a house with my mom, she did home health for a while. Um, and there was this older woman who had a, um, a Super NES in her house for her uh, grandson. And I really wanted to pick up and play um, Zelda because it just looked so mysterious. And I liked swords and I liked, you know, going back to the medieval thing, I liked King Arthur and I liked all that, you know, kind of fantasy stuff. So it really appealed to me from the sense of like, oh, this looks mysterious and cool. But looking back on it now, to me, I I feel like they should have changed it up a little bit. It, yeah. It, at that point, it was getting a little a little drab. 
Yeah, I mean, and then you look at the Japanese one, and you're just like, wow, holy cow, so much cool stuff going on. Right, we'll put this in the show notes as well, and uh, probably on our Twitter, um, but the the Japanese box here, why don't you just describe it for us? I mean, there's a, there's like a, Link's just out in the foreground, just holding up his sword and shield, like, yeah, what's adventure, and then there's uh, Terran underneath him, it's just like munching on mushrooms, having, having mm-hmm. a hallucinogenic time of his life, and then yeah. Naren's just sitting there like... You know, she's happy, you know, that everyone's having fun. But at the same time, you can kind of see, like, the undertones of some concerned looks as she stares at <laughs> M- Taryn and wondering, you know. Um, she's the only character in the in the picture who looks a little um, a little touched. Yeah, she's, like, looking at him like, oh, great, I'm going to have to deal with that later. Um, yeah. <laughs> you're tearing our um, family apart, Dad. My dad's getting high again. His backpack's hey. filled to the brim with mushrooms. Gonna have to change his pants again when we get home when he thinks that he walked into the yellow zone or something crazy can't be, that he'll see. Can't was, wait to be the sole provider for this family with my music. Yep, I have to uh, go out and get his money. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's then there's an owl. Then there's an owl flying above him, which I can't yes. tell if an enemy because like if I didn't know anything about the game, I couldn't tell if the owl was actually like a friend or an enemy. So it looks like it's yeah. coming after League. Like he's like, get away from it my does. nest. And then there's a giant yeah. egg in the background, and there's so much going on, and it's colorful, and the, they're in a mm-hmm. jungle. They're in like an island setting. There's lots of bushes and palm trees and a giant egg, right. of course. I it's that. really pretty. Yeah, it's really neat. Um, so yeah, I'm a fan of the uh, of the Japanese box art for sure yeah, over for sure. over everything else. Um, so the manual. So here was my experience with the manual. Uh, to me, manual was not quite as helpful as say the original Zelda manual. And I, I came into this game having spent the past year uh, playing the original Zelda. I've been I've been going back through that, and we'll we'll do an episode on that at some point. Um, but the the original manual and it's a cool manual right it's a, i think it's a good manual it's got like full color art it's really pretty um and it tells you all about the items uh but the original zelda manual i like gives you like maps and uh hints you know sometimes to to go into the game with which i thought was really really cool so to me this is kind of a step down uh, from some of the stuff for in the yeah. past, but it, it's still a pretty detailed manual. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just kind of like a uh, like a the Game Boy Color ones and the SNES ones. Since they're smaller, I don't think they're going to be nearly as detailed. I don't think they put that for much sure. effort into it because there's less I, buttons. I think there's definitely and... a lot of effort in this one. I mean, like there's still a ton of effort for a Game Boy game in this in yeah. this particular manual. No, I yeah, I don't know if it's. Like, it's not as highly detailed because maybe it's just smaller. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I have to... I got to try the Game Boy printer thing. Because uh, you can see they show how to use the Game Boy printer. And the picture isn't just a screenshot. It's a picture of, like, where you are. It's showing a picture of Link running away from uh, the chain chomp. Oh, yeah. In the manual. Like, I think there's certain places you can take pictures where you can get special, like, uh, little scenes. That's cool. Yeah. And speaking to that, uh, Link's picture in here looks a lot like the picture in uh, the new game. It looks a lot like the the character design in uh, the Link's Awakening remake. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I wonder if they're going to – are they? Are you think whenever they come out with it from the Switch, if you take mm-hmm. pictures, like, there's going to be, like, those little bonus pictures instead of the picture? Oh, that would be really neat. <laughs> I don't that know would if be really, that really cool. That would I be would cool. love it if they did that. That would be super, super detailed. I, yeah. I have doubts that that's going to happen, but um, 
that would be neat. Um, all right, so let's move on here. Um, let's see here. Uh, how? What? What else comes with the box? Just a, just like a quick lightning round here. Comes with your general health warnings and what looks like to, of course, your your run of the mill ads. I don't think it comes with anything special. Does it have any special editions that come with like extra stuff, like a map or? Okay. No, I don't think so. I think it just and I, I couldn't find anything on this. So some of this is, you know, uh, just our our own research here of what we could find because we don't have the the box copy. But uh, this one appears only to have come with um, a Nintendo Power mail in ad where you could like mail in and get a subscription. Oh, that's nice. Free subscription. Heck yeah. Yeah. Or maybe not free. <laughs> I don't know. I regret not getting it. Well, not for you. You mail in with, like, money. <laughs> yeah, I regret not getting a, a Nintendo Power because I never had the power. Wish I did. Yeah, never had the okay. power. I had friends who had the power, and uh, when I became, like, a teenager, I started buying it at the grocery store. Uh, but um, I didn't I didn't ever really have a, a regular subscription to it, but it was always fun to read. Yeah. Sure. Okay, um, so uh, how did you discover the game, Kyle? Well, I discovered it when we started this show, believe mm-hmm. it or not. I knew it existed prior to this show, but I never really right. had the urge to go out and find it. And I think it's mostly because I never had a Game Boy Color. I mean, mm-hmm. I have a Retron 5 that could play it. Right. But that's pretty much it. And I haven't been really paying attention to collecting portable games lately. It's just mostly been PS2 right. and SNES right now. But uh mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I discovered it when we started this thing. So, hey, one bonus of doing this podcast is I got to play Link's Awakening DX. So. Yeah. yeah, that's always a good bonus. So I, I had the original game, but it never worked. I found it in a uh, pawn shop, and I ended up trading it in because it was having issues. I ended up trading it in for Mario Party, uh, which was a good choice, actually. Um, oh, yeah, now that is a good choice. Yeah, Mario Party is a good game. If I had to choose, I'd probably, like, I would take a working Link's Awakening over Mario Party, but, um, because I'm, I'm more of a single player person. Yeah. Um, and Mario Party, that, that very weekend, I ended up getting blisters on the center of my hand from the, uh, oh, oh, yeah, from, the <laughs> from the analog stick games. Yeah. Um, but I, I wanted to play it really bad for a long time. Uh, and then I just sort of forgot about it. I ended up getting the DX version on, um, a game on, uh, my, uh, 3DS. Uh, so I had this, I just had this sitting around and I was like, Hey, why don't we play this? You know, I, I'd, I'd like to play it before we, you know, play the switch version eventually. And uh, I owned it already, and I just never. I, I think I started it up and played a little bit of it, and 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 let it go. You know, it's just one of those ones I just didn't finish. Um, I think I got through the first dungeon and just sort of forgot all about it, um, which wasn't the game's fault. You know, life just happens. But yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a purchase for both of us, um, not something we rented as as kids. Yeah, uh, we. Which Game Boy games weren't rentable back then, really. Yeah, they weren't, were they? Uh, there might have been some places, but at Showbiz Video in Stillwater, where we we both grew up, um, it, it they had SNES and and, uh, and Genesis. Genesis and you know N sixty four, I guess at the time of Link's Awakening DX. But handheld games, I think they were too afraid to uh, to loan out because they're so small and easy easy to lose. This is true, especially when you're dealing with a bunch of kids as your primary demographic. For sure, so, yeah. yeah. All right. Um, well, uh, without you know. Anything uh, else to talk about? Uh, let's get right into the review. Oh, yeah, we're reviewing. I forgot. <laughs> we're going to review the game, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, what are some expectations you had about the game 
um, based on what you heard about it, uh, you know, before you had played it. Okay, so I never really heard much about it because mm-hmm. I think most of my friends growing up uh, suffered from the same fate as well. Suffered well, didn't hear about it for the same reasons. It didn't get much notice, like mm-hmm. with the DX version anyway. I don't know about the right. regular one, but. Uh, because the N64 was out when the DX thing was out. Now, as far as right. the original one goes, I didn't hear anything about that because I think... Well, we were a little young back then. That was like yeah, 1993. I was like, yeah, I was like five years old, so I couldn't play I didn't have the fine motor skills to play it. But as far as the DX version is concerned, uh, when the 64 came out, it just overshowered, showered, show, show, overshadowed anything else uh-huh. that was going on. So I didn't hear much about it. I didn't hear anything about it. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm with you, man. I had a I got an N64 that year. Um, my parents got it secondhand. Uh, they sort of tricked me. Uh, they took me into a pawn shop and I found it uh, for like 99 bucks, which was a really good price at the time. It was before people knew how to price video game consoles because they thought, yeah. well, this is a this is a kid's toy. You know, it's not yeah, worth I anything. I miss uh, those so you, days. <laughs> yeah, everybody knows what they're worth now because it's really popular. Yeah, um, like- but, Earthbound, two hundred dollars no. Even though that they couldn't sell that game, they couldn't get rid of it. Yeah. It did so poorly. But that's another episode. Yeah, uh, for sure. We'll get to Earthbound, man. Okay. Um, so uh, the uh, the N sixty four came out um, years before, but I got it in uh, in that year at Christmas. And my grandpa gave me some money, and I immediately was like, let's go to Toys R Us, because that's where you got games at the time. We yeah. didn't have game stores in Oklahoma. Uh, so we kind of grew up in, like, backwater. You know, like, merchandise was non-existent. You you could not find gaming merchandise anywhere uh, during our childhood. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, I, mean, I think we eventually Hastings found... Yeah, yeah, Hastings, but, like, not until much later. Yeah. Like, in the 90s, forget about it, you know? Forget about it. Um, so we, you know, I had gotten a, an N64 that Christmas and went to the store to buy Ocarina of Time because that was like, everybody was talking about it. Like we said, there were movie trailers about it. And I, I didn't hear a thing about Link's Awakening DX. I had yeah. no idea it existed, you know? So it was kind of like this, um, we were sort of in a vacuum about it. And I, I didn't really have much expectation going in. I've heard people like it. Um, I had played a little bit of it, but I didn't, honestly, I had forgotten all about it. I had forgotten everything I had, had played. So it was like playing it for the first time. Yeah. I mean, like, like I didn't hear anything about it per se, as far as like, well, I knew it existed. I just didn't know anything about it. But when I first saw the cover art for it, my immediate expectation was that it was going to be like Link to the Past because the cover looked like Link to the Past. Uh Uh-huh. So like, yeah, that that definitely that colored my expectations as well. Um, you know, I think another thing that colored my expectations, and this isn't fair to the game, but I had a little trouble with it at first because I had played Zelda NES for so long, and I just I had trained my brain to know how to play Zelda NES, which we'll get to in the uh, in the gameplay section. But I didn't have expectations of it, but my brain was sort of trained not to understand how Link's Awakening works because I had played a Zelda that was is is very different despite the cosmetic uh, similarities. Uh, so, uh, how long to beat list this game as being? Uh, I think about fourteen hours, right? Yeah, it's four. It's really strange because mm-hmm. uh, it it sort of pulls it based on play styles. 
Uh-huh. And the averages for the main and extras look to be about 16 and a half, whereas mm-hmm. completion is 15 and a half, which doesn't make any sense. So right. I, I'd just go with like 15 to 16, probably. Yeah. 14, I, if you're doing just main story, probably around there. Right. I can't say how long it took me. I was kind of in a, in a, in a haze when I played it because I was sick. I never finished it. <laughs> so, uh, about how far did you get? I got to the, I got past the third dungeon trying to find the fourth. Yeah. Yeah, th- I will say this game is a little obtuse at times, so it can be hard to find things. Um, and I think that increases the play time, uh, depending on what you're doing. Yeah. I, it's I had a lot of time. Fun. Oh, totally. I had a lot of time to just sit with it because I got sick and I uh, got to stay home from work for a couple days. Uh, and I felt awful, but I was like, well, time to play Link's Awakening. Um, right. So I ended up finishing it. Um, so let's see here. Uh, let's give a brief like summary of what this game's about so people you know understand what we're talking about here okay so essentially i mean the 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 beginning cutscene, right you turn the you turn the game boy color on you get greeted with a cutscene of uh of link in a raft having a rough time which by the way i didn't expect a cutscene in a game yeah. boy color game by the way but he's having a rough time and then it blanks out and then you wake up in an island and that's basically mm-hmm. all you know right and you're like oh crap and if we read the back of the box, we know that there's going to be an owl friend that's going to be helping us. And right. we have to go out and find these eight instruments. And mm-hmm. it, I mean, it's pretty simple. I mean, that's the only thing that's pretty, it's pretty much the beginning and end of the plot as far as I yeah. know. Anyway, so wake up some fish instruments and, and wake up the wind fish. Yeah. Wake up the old fish. Um, you know, it's, it, is a, it is a pretty simple plot, but I think it hides um, some subtleties, uh, which true. we'll get to uh, in our story and character section. Yeah, I won't sp- um, we won't spoil it in the beginning part, but we'll tell you yeah. the ending kind of later. I want to save that. Till yeah, for sure. Um, finale. So what were some of your first impressions of the gameplay? Okay, so uh, like I said, had, didn't have any, the only experience I've had with handheld Zeldas, right, is mm-hmm. Link to the, uh, what is it? Phantom Hourglass and Link Between Worlds and Minish Cap. Yeah. If I had to compare it to any of those, it had to be Minish Cap would be the closest one. So right. it felt familiar. I was a little it, – it was a little bit different because, you know, you have less buttons. Mm-hmm. But other than that, uh, it was very familiar. The controls felt very familiar. The first thing that caught me off guard uh-huh. was the fact that your shield was an item, yep. which is something – it took me a little bit longer to figure out than it – than I thought, but it's very right. interesting the way that it teaches you that. It's really interesting, but um, it felt my first impression was that it wasn't actually like it. I mean, it had some similarities to Link the Past because you know you mm-hmm. wake up in a bed like you do in Link the Past, and then you go outside your house like you did in Link right. the Past, and that's kind of where it ends. But instead of yeah. going to a castle, you go somewhere else. So right. my expectations um, were a little bit misled i kind of i was like i think i know where this is going and then it's like oh wait maybe i don't because the first thing you see to the left of your house is a chain shop you're like what (laughs) this is a game (laughs) so i was like i didn't know what to expect my so my first impressions of this game were actually pretty i was actually pretty excited because i was like wait wait a minute what's going on here Mm -hmm. why is there a chain shop in my zelda game right so this was pretty familiar to me um because i had played a lot of the Oracle games. Um, that was one of the, 
uh, big things my parents, you know, picked up for me on uh, on the Game Boy Color. Uh, so my parents got me both of them. <laughs> it was like this this moment in my life where I was like, "Holy crap!" They just like you know they knew what I wanted, right? So it was like, "Oh, they I, they know I like Zelda, so here's here's two of them." Um, and you did have to have both of them in order to play the final boss, which I never got to, and we'll we'll probably do someday when we uh, do it on the show, but. Um, it's very it's got the same sort of graphics um and the same sort of level of detail i think that uh the oracle games have maybe a little bit less uh, just because it was made later but um the the sprite for link for example is very similar the items are very similar um you know item switching being able to jump uh i think using your shield as a uh, as as an item um so I, I, it felt very familiar based on that experience of childhood. Um, and my first impressions were that it was a little obtuse. And I think that just happens, you know, like how it trains you to do certain things. Um, I had trouble figuring out at first. And I think that may have been just shaking off uh, being so used to how you interact with the world in Zelda for the NES. Um you know, because that's Zelda for the NES has a very specific way that you interact with the world. All the items do certain things, and uh, Link's Awakening is a little bit more free and easy with its uh, uh, with its mechanics. Uh, so it took me a while to um, sort of get used to that style, um, and even like deep into the game, I, I still wasn't quite used to it. But uh, you know, I, I got I got it figured out, and I definitely had fun with it uh, almost immediately. I, I, one of my all, all other first impressions was that it's really funny, right? Yeah, it has a very, very easygoing tone. Like, I, if I was yeah. to go, like I said, if I went off of the like American commercial, I'd be like, "What? What, what is this?" Yeah, <laughs> I would think it was a lot darker. Yeah, uh, but like one of the first things is you talk to these children, and every child in the in the in the uh, in the city or the town is like. Hey, if you press A, you can swing your sword. How do I know that? Don't ask me. I'm just a kid. (laughs) Which, which I'll mention. Like, if I heard this as a kid, Uh, I'm like, oh my god, wow, that's funny. But like, uh, I think now that I'm adult, I'm an adult. I could be like, whoa, you know, maybe this is this is a little weird. This is a little weird that they're all saying that. But as a kid, that's something I wouldn't have picked up on, which I thought was right. Every single kid has the same like verbal tick where they're like, don't ask me. I'm just a kid. You know. Um, which they eventually drop for a little while. Uh, there's like a moment where they, they drop saying that. But um, generally speaking, the kids are like a tutorial where they will tell you how to do certain things if you talk to them, which is interesting. It's an interesting choice. Um, also, a lot of the like uh, a lot of the flavor text on things is very funny. Um, like if you run into like a chest of drawers in uh, one of the houses and try to try to open it, it'll say, Wow. That's a nice chest. <laughs> it's a really nice chest. Great yeah. quality. This looks like is this IKEA? No, this is this is from the New Yankee Workshop. This is nice. <laughs> Look at those dovetail joints. Sorry. Yeah, and it'll do things like saying like, "Oh, you already knew that." Okay, you know, like um, it, it just the game talks to you in a way that I did not expect from a Zelda game. Yeah, you know, it's it's got a it's got a sardonic tone, which can get irritating at points because sometimes. You hear the same thing over and over again and it loses its novelty. Uh, like, uh, for example, wow, this looks really heavy. You can't lift it with just your bare hands. Yeah, that's super annoying. And, and, I was going to shoot myself by the time I, I heard that the 50th time. Yeah, like, that it was, was just too much. And that, what makes it worse is that in order to lift it, right, you have to have the yeah. bracelet as an item, 
which is kind uh, of annoying in that of, of itself. Fine. And yep. then even if you have it in your inventory and you walk up to one, it's still going to say the same thing. It's going to stop what you're doing. It's going to make you go into a dialogue box and read it mm-hmm. for the 180,000th time. Uh-huh. I think you probably owe like 30 minutes of your like average playthrough to just reading those text boxes. It seems like. Yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely um, – it's frustrating at times. And you get used to it eventually. And, you know, the, the, um, the lifty – uh, dialogue eventually goes away. I don't know what causes it. I don't know what part of the game you have to get to for it to stop telling you that, but eventually it just stops doing it. But other things in the world still do it. Uh, like these obstacles where you uh, you have to run through them with the Pegasus boots and, and hit them with your sword. Uh, those items, uh, those make, you know, those make you sit through a text box every single time for the entire game. Yeah. Uh, unless you are running through them and killing them, they will always say that when you run into it. And it's always like, wow, this is sure is a weird obstacle. I'm sure you can find a way through it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for telling me that. Obstacles are things that I need to get through, and somehow I will. Appreciate it. That tells me nothing. Maybe there's like a theme with the fish that Link also has a brain of a fish, and he has to awaken Maybe. a fish, so he gets You his just brain forget back. every five seconds. Yep. It was very, it was very, um, it was very Skyward Sword with its reminders about stuff, right? A lot of text boxes, a lot of telling you things you already know. Um, and it's like, please just stop. I get it. I've played this game before. I realize this is for kids, but you know what? You don't need to tell me every time. I can figure it out. Um, so what about the graphics? How'd you feel? Um, like I said, I didn't have a lot of experience with the handheld games, uh, especially yeah. the Game Boy Color. I don't think I owned another Game Boy Color game. The one game I had on Game Boy was Game Boy. It was Pokemon Yellow. Was that even a Game Boy game? Yeah, that was a Game Boy game. It had uh, it had Game Boy Color enhancements. Yeah, uh, but you could play it on regular Game Boy. But as far as like, I mean, everything was recognizable. Uh, everything was clean. I mean, I didn't have much qualm with it. I thought yeah. that I thought the graphics were good and everything was rec- like I said everything was recognizable so I was happy. Well, I think for the Game Boy Color, I thought it was really really impressive. Yeah. Um, you know, Game Boy in general, like Game Boy Color didn't have the ability to like display more pixels necessarily and this certainly didn't try to if it did. Um the the Game Boy Color maybe had some better, you know, resolution, uh, but um it's the same size as the original Game Boy screen. Um, and this game, you know, didn't add like more graphical fidelity. It just added like color enhancements. Right. So, um, for like even a Game Boy game, I thought like the cutscene was super impressive. Um, I'm kidding. I was it, surprised about that. Yeah. It really struck me as like, wow, this looks really good for a Game Boy game. And, you know, maybe playing it today, you think, oh, it's kind of small. It's hard to see some things. Uh, but it's designed really well for its uh, for its platform. You know, it's easy to see everything, especially on a small screen, which I think is important to think about um, when you're talking about these types of games. Uh, the Game Boy, especially the original Game Boy, uh, has a lot of problems with ghosting. Yeah, um, and did even back then. Um, playing uh, playing like Super Mario Land to go back to that on a Game Boy, like an original DMG. Um, is is almost impossible like especially today it's so blurry it's very hard to see where you're going 
Um, I think the benefit of this particular game is that it moves a little slower. You know, you're not trying to platform. Uh, so it's easier to see things and the ghosting issue isn't as uh, big of a problem. Yeah. On, There's on a little bit of the jumping and the running might cause an issue, but I mean, yeah, it'd be but pretty you minor. know, you know, the 3ds actually, I would say personally, maybe the optimal way to play this game. Oh, no kidding. Um, it's it's backlit. It's easy to see. You can have a. There's an option if you uh, a, a listener sent in a little hint um, saying that if you uh, I think if you hold the start button um, and the select button while the game is starting on the 3ds, it'll put it in its original aspect ratio and give you a little um, uh, frame border? of yeah. Game Boy Color. That's yeah, that was border. pretty cool. Yeah, it's a neat little neat little mm-hmm. touch. A little tidbit. Um. Yeah. So yeah, it looks really good. Yeah. Also, also they didn't rehash enemies very often or at all. So I thought that was pretty cool. Was yeah, they were sort was... of rehashing them from other from other worlds. I yeah, guess. Yeah, it they, was nice had, though to um, see old old familiars in there though. Like, yeah, you saw like f- you saw those standard moblins, right? Um, yeah. You saw the Octoroks uh, and the flying Octoroks, but yeah. you also had a lot of Mario. In I these. hate those stupid things. The those flying Octoroks were the most pain in the ass thing. So they jump next to those damn teleporting birds. Oh, they teleport when you get close to them and they're annoying. We'll get to that. But um, uh-huh. yeah, what was really cool is that because, you know, I mean, but before that, I was used to playing like what? Final Fantasy. So like you just see like, oh, uh-huh. look, it's it's skeleton. And then it's like skeleton general. It's just a purple one. You know, whatever. They didn't do <laughs> yeah, a lot of totally. color swapping. So like each enemy you see is like, all right, cool. New enemy. How am I going to tackle this? Which is cool because I think right. they might have pulled it. Which is they kind of might have pulled it from the first Zelda, but there is some color variance to that. There might right. be some more in the game later, but as far as how far I got, there weren't any. Are there any like color swapped harder versions of them, or do you know? Um, I can't remember actually. You know, the Octoroks I think are always red. Yeah. Um, they a lot of the swapping that they do in this game uh, of same enemies is usually adding a new element to them. Yeah. Uh, that make them harder to beat. Um. Which I thought was really cool. There's a lot of unique enemies. Uh, there's a lot of um, things that test your ability tra- to traverse and use the items uh, in creative ways. Um, so, you know, the enemies are really fun. Uh, the enemies, uh, I think, test you a little bit and um, make you get creative in, in a way. Uh, at least as much as you can um, in that world. For sure. Yeah. Uh, so the music, how do you feel about, cause this, uh, this game is definitely focused on music. It's about the wind fish. You have to play the ballad of the wind fish. Uh, Marin is always singing. Yeah. Um, and you know, you have to get all these instruments from the different dungeons. Uh, so music ends up being a pretty important part of it. Um, so how did it stand up to you? It's not, it's pretty good. I like, even though it was coming through a game boy advance, yeah. game boy color sound chip, it was, it was pretty solid. I could see like that it's mm-hmm. possible that – I don't know if it's true or not, but um, – because Ocarina of Time has right. a heavy music influence, right? Because like you go and you collect all the songs. I think maybe it might have yeah. been the mm-hmm. one that set the trend because they're always – that Ocarina mm-hmm. always shows back up in like the later iterations of yeah, Zelda sure. games like the Ocarina, the Wind Wand – Baton. Wind baton. Yeah, whatever yeah. it is. And then a the wind goes, wand. Then it goes to like uh, some some grass. In mm-hmm. Twilight Princess, that one was weird. And you know, <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, I, I guess, yeah. like the music was good. Apparently, the guy that worked on it was also this was his first game, and he came up with the field music. Uh huh. Apparently, it's one of the, you one know of the um 
the music before you have your sword immediately impressed me. I thought it was a lot of fun. Oh, um, yeah. It just has this bouncy feeling, um, and it's not a Zelda theme. Um, and, you know, uh, my experience with the with the Zelda franchise and music, Ocarina of Time was my first Zelda, right? So when Ocarina of Time doesn't have the Zelda theme in it. Yeah. Which is is looking at it now is huge and such a difference. Um, but it's such an iconic theme, but it shows up nowhere. Um, so having when I played these games as a kid, uh, when I played like the, the Oracle games, for example, hearing that theme was like, oh, this is cool. This is really good, you know? Um, I will say now today, the Link's Awakening version of the Zelda theme, I think it's one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. It, 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 the way it, um, you know, it just has this sense of adventure. Uh, it's a little bit different from, you know, some of the uh, some of the other themes. It has, like, some some variations in it. I, I think it's one of my favorites. And I think there's a reason that, like, chiptune artists will often use the um, Play It Loud sound chip uh, in... Um, uh, in their compositions they use from, from the, from the game boy, the sound chip from the game boy. It's because it's actually a really solid sound chip for making basic chip tunes. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot you can do with it. So I think the, the music is really good in this game. Uh, it's utilized really well. There's, yeah. There's uh, a lot of variation. Yeah. And, and the ballad of the Windfish is awesome. Yeah. It's, the ballad of the Windfish a, is cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a really beautiful sort of like haunting theme uh, that I think, gives you a sense of some of the stuff that's below the surface in this game. I mean, the, I mean, come to think of it, like, I guess there's not a lot of variation to the game, to the music, but mm-hmm. it's, it, not, it never gets grading, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, I didn't want to listen to other things I while never, I was playing it. Yeah, I never got to the urge to just mute the game. Like, I might turn it down a little bit, yeah. but I never muted it, because the music never, it was just like, it just pushed right. you on. It didn't annoy you. Does that if that makes sense? Definitely. You know, the only I was music, really impressed. Go ahead. The only music that really ever irritated me was the uh, the music that played when you got the guardian acorn or the um, piece of power. Yeah, I I did start avoiding those sometimes just so I didn't have to hear it. Yeah, it, the theme is annoying, <laughs> and it lasts forever. I just know, like give like, me the thing and make me glow. I don't want to hear this music yeah, every so time. Make it to where I can take regular damage now. I don't care anymore. It's yeah. like, I'm not taking regular, ta- I'm taking half damage, but my ears are taking full damage. Please, uh, totally. please stop. Something that really impressed me about the music in this game is that they had a different theme for every dungeon. Oh, yeah. Every dungeon has, like, when I first heard, I heard the second one, I was like, oh, this is different. I, I don't think this is the same thing. Um, it was so impressive to me. Uh, I, I was just like, oh, this is a, a Game Boy game, and they're giving individual themes to Zelda. And again, coming off of NES Zelda, I was like used to hearing just the same theme all the time, which they're both great themes. The dungeon theme in NES Zelda is amazing. The overworld theme is amazing. Everything about NES Zelda is just great. It's a, it's a classic. So we'll, we'll get to that one, but you know my opinion about it already. But um, having a sort of slightly different theme in every dungeon was a nice touch that I think gives everything a really unique feel. Yeah. Um, so... The story and characters and themes. What were your thoughts on the sort of um, the the theme of this game, like the undertones that we were talking about earlier? Um, so the theme at face value, mm-hmm. um, because I didn't know the outcome of the game for right. a while until I eventually figured it out. I guess 
Um, right. It, it kind of drops hints as you play. Like you quickly figure out kind of what what's going on. But mm-hmm. I thought my my original like it's like I read from what I read the fact that it was like a side project that that people just did out of passion. Like I mm-hmm. thought it was just kind of just that when I was playing it at first. It was just like you started seeing Mario enemies and Kirby enemies and like a Yoshi chilling out in the in the uh-huh. little claw game. You're like, oh wow, you know, this is just a game where Nintendo artists or Nintendo developers like got together and made all these cool Easter eggs and stuff and and it was really lighthearted and going to play the music and you alert the fish or whatever, but yeah. as I played on there's these little were they owl statues you talk to and then they give you like really cryptic messages. Yeah. And then that's when mm-hmm. my sort of my theme the theme that I thought was going on might not be like the light and bubbly things that that sort of point of view was not exactly sh- true. I started to sort of be like mm-hmm. what else is going on here? Cuz you right. know those those creepy owls were really kind of upsetting like my perception. Uh, yeah, they are a little a little bit. Yeah, it was jarring. Like I walked up to one by a uh, like a like a waterfall. It's like yeah, when the fish stirs, you hero dies or something like that. What? 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 I just yeah, killed. It, it, <laughs> I just killed like a spiny, and I saw I got to help a chain chomp get somewhere, and now you're telling me this. What was this? Yeah, it's really those those uh, particular owls, and to differentiate, there are owls in dungeons that give you hints about the dungeon, yeah. which aren't always helpful um, and aren't always translated properly. But uh, the um, uh, the owls outside the dungeons that are just sitting around will will give you little cryptic uh, messages about the game's like uh, true nature. Which uh, to spoil it for you guys is. Um, as you're going through each of the dungeons, you're fighting nightmares uh, in the mind of the windfish. So the windfish is having a dream, and the entire island is that dream. Yeah. All of the people, all of the characters, which explains a lot of the Mario crossover stuff. I guess the windfish is a uh, is a Nintendo player. So um, essentially, it's a Shutter Island, but <laughs> no Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, yeah, and no mental institution. And no mental institution. <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, mm-hmm. I had this really, I thought the game was pretty upbeat. I was like, all right, you know, this is another Zelda game. I'm going to save the windfish instead of the princess this time. I'm going to go mm-hmm. get the things. And then you start fighting like, whoa, wait a minute. Why Why are these boss rooms called nightmare rooms or whatever? Like, what's going on here? Yeah. Like, like, this is stuff that I wouldn't have picked up on as a kid, but I probably wouldn't even give that those owl statues like a blink of an eye. Like, whatever, you know, I want to keep killing stuff. And right, I wouldn't totally. have given it even the time of day. But now that I'm older, I'm like, what is this? This is creepy. I don't like it. And it's, <laughs> it's a little weird and out of place. And, and I guess mm-hmm. that's probably what makes it stick out more is it's, it's such bright contrast to what else, For everything sure. else that's going on. So. Yeah, it gives you this creepy feeling, which I love in games. Um, I get the same feeling from Earthbound. Um, oh yeah, a little bit more in Earthbound, I think. But Earthbound um, just—it's—it starts out weird in in the beginning. It starts yeah. out weird, but it's got this sort of happy exterior, and there's something going on under the surface that's really creepy. Yeah, you know, and everybody has this sort of like they're they're pretending to be a certain way and you can tell that there's like another way that they actually are. Yeah. There's like a creepiness um, to it. And, and and I don't feel that as much in link to the past, but there is definitely like, there's a deeper reality to the game than what you're seeing, which ends up being again, that it's a dream in links awakening. Yeah. Sorry. 
uh, in Link's Awakening, there's a there's a deeper reality to the to the world that you're not seeing uh, that ends up being the dream, um, yeah. which is really cool. Uh, and it's you kind of feel bad. Like I always wondered, like as I was going through, am I doing the right thing? If I kill all these nightmares and wake the windfish, the entire island goes away. Um, now the nightmares want to rule the island, but um, you know they keep saying like it, things didn't have to change. And I'm I'm like, oh oh man, I don't. I don't feel good about this anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's weird because, yeah. you know, but what if they're not real? You know, you just, you, you, it's kind of a dilemma that you go through when you think about it. Again, something I probably would have never, that would have never crossed my mind as a kid. So for I sure, I was just simple back then. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about the gameplay and design. Okay. Um, how did you feel about it? So gameplay was, like I said, it was very, it was different. It was different from Length of Past. That's for dang sure. Right. But compared to like, um, I guess it was similar to Minish Cat, maybe so similar. But the, it was you know run around, stab stuff. You know, the sword felt nice. Like I said, I mentioned earlier the shield. The shield was different. This one caught me off guard because I was like walking up to an Octorok and I'm like facing toward it. Projectile comes toward me and hits me. I'm like, well, what's the deal? Well, you quickly right. figure out when you go down to get your sword that all the all the all the uh, bo- all the like pathways are blocked by, I think they're called spinies. I can't remember. I think they're a Kirby character. Yes, a Kirby um, enemy. 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 Anyway, they definitely are. Yeah. So you walk up to him. You're like, well, I can't walk through them. What do I do? And so you hit the shield button, and he's like, oh, there it is. I'm like, oh, oh, cool. So what happens yeah. if I walk up to him and like, oh, cool, you can push the enemies with the shield, and like that's how the game teaches you how to use the shield mm-hmm. and I'm like, wow, that's really cool. But you know, it's, I, it was, I wasn't super into it later. Cause it was like, cause you get your sword. So you have to balance attack uh-huh. with defense, you know, offense with defense. And I was never good at that right. in any other Zelda game. So I had no practice yeah. at this. So I'm like, here's a projectile. I'll just block it. I'm never quick enough. Never quick enough. Right. I get hit by, you something. know, I always get hit by something. I, I didn't like that as much too because I, I felt like uh, I was having to switch items so much oh, and that was a big thing that bothered me about this game is you have room for two items at a time. You yeah. don't have to have your sword equipped like in other Zeldas. In other Zeldas, there's a, a, a dedicated button uh, for the sword. In this one, you can put it to whatever button you want but you only have two choices. You have A and B. Yeah. Um, so you end up making sacrifices to like, you know, I need to have a certain item to do this certain thing. So like, for example... Sometimes there's pits that you can't pass unless you're using the Pegasus boots and the and Rock's Feather, um, which allow you to run fast and jump. Yeah. Um, so you get, you, get, you get to jump further, but you can't have your sword. So if there's something on the other side that you want to kill, like as you're landing, then, you know, you're SOL. Um, and having to pause constantly. Like there were bosses where I was like pausing every five seconds, changing items, going back like laying down a bomb, going back to my items, changing again, changing back to my shield, making sure I was in place, defending myself. And it it just got to be like really unwieldy where it's like, if this game had more buttons, it would be fine. Yeah, I know. It's, I understand. Like they only have a limitation of the, of the game boy. Yeah. Yeah. It it was also really irritating for me because like on the DS, 3DS, Mm -hmm. you have to reach your thumb way over in the middle to hit the start button. You have to keep doing that. Over and over again, and yeah, like I think it got it, frustrating. We talked about this uh, like last time I hung out. I don't think it made it into the the aforementioned failed first recording. 
Yeah, we recorded this once, and, and yeah. uh, it had some really major issues, so we couldn't use the recording. It's called. Uh, so um, it's just called. This is just us. That's what happens. Technical difficulties. Every time are, we start a, a new project, we end up having to do something twice. Yeah, it's like fine. we end up always having to record the first episode it's okay. twice. So we like. It. We were expecting it. It was yeah. fun. It was great. <laughs> I was like, all right, cool. Uh, it was like even before he checked it, right as he left, we're like, all right. Uh, so this is gonna fail. Uh, can't wait to redo this <laughs> with you next next week, and we'll redo it. Like, okay, yeah. but uh, as you're it, it, it happened, of course. Yeah, of course, of course, it was going to happen. Now it drives me up the wall. But anyways, you were saying this. <laughs> we were talking about this uh, last time, where like with Link to the Past, they made it to where when you got a bracelet item, when you got the boots, and I understand there's right. not that many extra items, but the boots I could see like not being mm-hmm. used for this, but they just go into a slot that they're just automatically equipped, like the flippers. Right. I do not understand why they chose to make it in its own item. I don't understand. Right. Yeah, the bracelet that makes you lift things should not be its own item. You get an upgrade to it, but just put that upgrade in an automatic thing. Yeah, uh, just like I, they you know, didn't. If I'm up next to... Yeah, like it should be contextual. And I think maybe maybe it was just too hard to program it to be, to be contextual for it to like... For the game to know that you were next to something that was you were able to pick up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, they knew it enough to put a text box over it every time you touched a, a block. Now, does that eventually go away, like, in the game? Yes. I, I, I can't remember which dungeon it was, but the, the text box over the um, – whenever you try to – whenever you touch, like, a liftable thing eventually does go away. But I have no idea what the trigger was. Yeah. I think it was after I got the ability to use um, – I, I honestly don't know. I, I – I, I can't really say. I have no idea. Yeah. So yeah, definitely one of the inventory system was definitely one of my weak weak like was one of its weak mm-hmm. points, I think. Uh, yeah. I understand it was dealing with the limitations, but there were some items that should have just been innately like acquired. Like you don't have right. to equip. Uh, and I think some of this is I think some of this is just it being an older game and having some uh uh, not just limitations, but like they're they've never made a handheld Zelda before. So yeah, it's true. This this it, the one the original one was actually set to to be the dummy, like the test dummy as to like what the Game Boy was capable of doing. Like this is right supposed to and be it definitely like a pushed it to its voyage. limit. Oh yeah, and and it yeah. did a good job. It worked. So yeah, I mean it was a it was a good game. It, it is a good game. Um, you know, there's some other gameplay flaws I will call them that. That really bothered me, um, and I will say they bothered me around Dungeon Seven. Uh, when I got to the the seventh level, um, that was when the problems no. really started to pile up for me. I and you had you, like. you didn't get to this, no. you didn't get to this. But let me explain. Um, Link's, Link's Awakening has this obtuse sort of puzzle structure sometimes, where you uh, let me let me use a comparison, and I keep comparing it to the NES Zelda, and I'm going to keep doing that. I know it's annoying, I but then there's a lot of influence from it, so I mean, it's, for sure, it's probably yeah. the most so, popular top-down game ever. So might as well. Yeah, definitely. So uh, NES Zelda, top-down everything Zelda. you get, every every item you have, um, has a specific way that it interacts with the world. Right? You have a bomb. Bombs open up doors. Bombs hurt bad guys. You have arrows. Arrows shoot you know, and hurt bad guys, and they if you shoot it into an eye, it's going to hurt that eye more, right? There's a clear line between, hey, if I use an arrow on a big old eye, it's going to be a weak point, right? That makes sense. Um, same with your candle. The candle lights up rooms and sets things on fire. That is what a candle does, yeah, that's what right? Do. 
Yeah, exactly. And and the candle has a very specific way that it interacts with the world. Same with Breath of the Wild, right? You get these tools. They interact with the world in certain ways. And you can predict the way it's going to interact with the world by giving, by giving it a try, right? You have a, you have a basic idea of how it interacts with things physically. And you can try different things and solve puzzles that way. Yeah. Um, Link's Awakening doesn't really do that all the time. It does sometimes, but the logic is kind of weird. So in the very first part of the game, you uh, get this dust. You get this dust that you can throw onto a raccoon to make it sneeze so that it'll go away and let you find somebody's dad. Yeah. It makes sense in the game because they tell you, <laughs> yeah. find a mushroom and bring it to the witch, right? Yeah. Even though or I you didn't... can just go to the crane game like you, Yeah, I just, you I cheater. Just, I just forego that completely, went to the crane game, got the dust that way, didn't have to even do the mushroom yes. part. So yeah, for totally. any of those, any of you speed speed runners, uh, it's a hot tip. You can speed have running bros. Uh, it's on the house. Speed running hot tips. Speed running um, hot tips. Call one eight hundred hot tips. No, don't hot tips. <laughs> um, so <laughs> don't actually call that. I don't know what that uh, yeah, would go probably, to. That's probably that might be that might be porn. That might be um, porn, yeah. So. Uh, as you're going through, if you go to the witch and take the mushroom to her and get the powder, the mushroom powder, mm. the, the raccoon tells you, hey, I'm sensitive to dust. So that makes sense. Um, where I immediately got stuck was later on when you're supposed to light these two torches in a room. Yeah. And I have no idea how to do it. And I got I got stuck for hours. And finally, I looked up. Uh, this was a little bit of a cheat based on our rules. But I feel like at this point, like, I just I really, you know. I really had some trouble with this, so I picked up Nintendo Power. I, I found this issue of Nintendo Power, and I'd say that's still legal within our rules because we're saying what what might you have had access to uh, in those days, right? Um, so I picked up that issue of Nintendo Power, and it wasn't super helpful because it was the DX version, so things are in different places sometimes. There's some, some minor changes to the items. Um, but it finally told me you're supposed to sprinkle the magic dust onto a torch. Yeah. And the dust will light the torch, See, which makes no sense. I don't know why, but I put, like I said, uh -huh. I put Link to the Past prior to this, and you get magic dust yeah. in that. And you also get mm -hmm. a torch in that, but for some reason my brain just said, oh, use the dust on it. You know, and I saw it because I right. looked at my inventory and I was like, the only thing I have that could light this would be something magical. So right. chuck some dust on. Because mm -hmm. I can leave the past, it turns chickens back to women, you know. Why not? That's true. Why not have it start fire? <laughs> <laughs> and it tells you, the game tells you, sprinkle it on many different things. It is odd, which though. Is, it's, it's nice enough, you know, you, you get kind of enough information there. That one sort of, I think, informs you that in this game, you have a lot of items, and sometimes you're just going to have to throw things at the wall and see what sticks. Um, because, like, in some dungeons... Throwing a jar at a wall at a door opens it. Yeah, that was weird. Uh, that one caught me off guard. Yeah, and in another one, there was a puzzle where throwing a jar at a chest, a treasure chest, would open it, and the the owl right next to it tells you, "Hey, try throwing you know a, a jar at a treasure chest to open it." That is the only time in the game that that happens that I know of that I ran into playing the whole thing. Um, and th it's not a puzzle when the hint's right next to it. No, that's, that's not a it's puzzle. Just, it's just like yeah, that door thing really threw me for a loop because 
It's like, yeah. just throw a jar at the door. It'll open. Because, like, I was – tr- it took me, like, uh-huh. 40 minutes to figure out, like, that's how you get in. Because I was like, is there another thing I'm missing in room? I was supposed to go outside the dungeon and go into another cave to get an item to open it somehow. And I just, right. on a random chance, just out of frustration through the jar on it, it opened. I'm like, oh, you got to be yeah. kidding me. <laughs> uh, same thing here where it's just like, what? what is this? Come on. Um, and there was another po- point where um, – uh, and, and this was the really, really, uh, really big issue I had with it. Sometimes, well, for example, like sometimes keys unlock pointless areas, which is infuriating. Uh, but I get that, that, you know, having a red herring is fine. When I finally got to um, this one dungeon, uh, it had this puzzle where you're supposed to throw a big ball at pillars to knock the pillars down. And those pillars will bring one of the floors down lower so that you can actually get to it. It'll merge two floors together. That is a really, really cool concept. However, the way that you throw that ball is not consistent based on the rules that you already understand about the world. So in the game, you cannot jump over uh, big square blocks, right? You can't use Rock's Feather to jump over blocks. There are also yellow fences that don't appear very often in the game that you can't jump over. Your jump height is a, is a, is a set height, and neither of those jumps will make it over either of those things. The ball, when you throw it, doesn't really look like it goes much higher than your jump. It doesn't look like it goes higher than your jump at all, in my opinion. So when I get to this point, I am trying everything I can to get this ball over a pit. There's a specific pit. It's just a little too far. I spent a lot of time throwing the ball into the pit, running really fast and trying to throw the ball, trying to find out some way to get it over the staying pit so that I can get into this next room and knock down the last pillar. And I had such trouble with this. Um, and, you know, you think, okay, I'm, I'm looking at it. I can see that my jumps interact in a, in a certain way with the physical world. I can see that this ball doesn't go higher than I jump. So... I never thought to try and throw it over the yellow fence in order to get it around and to this room, right? Because there is a yellow fence that blocks you from from getting over to this part of the room, but it doesn't block the ball. It turns out you can throw the ball over the yellow fence. And I just found it out at random. I thought, you know what? What if this is what it did? What if this game is being really dumb right now? Let me just try it and see what happens. And it turns out, yes, indeed, it was screwing me over. Yeah. <laughs> and... It, it took me like two hours to figure that out because I was just running around having a misunderstanding about how the world works because maybe the graphics are limited. But um, don't don't put that you know thing in front of me and, and say, oh, you can't jump over it, but a ball that doesn't go higher than you can can get over it. Yeah. Like, I think that's it, just one of, those, one of those game design choices that kind of didn't age well because you know back in the original zelda if you didn't have a walkthrough i mean (laughs) you know you have to you'd hear somebody on the playground tell you oh to get the access to this dungeon you have to set this tree on fire you just go around setting trees on fire it was all about just trying to trial and error until you eventually figure out how to get into it and i think that this game kind of it doesn't use it very often there are there Uh are there are certain points where it's just like oh we're gonna throw them a curveball See if they can right. figure it out, you know. Right. And this game definitely, like I said, it, it, it is overall very well designed. The puzzles are really interesting most of the time. And all the dungeon um, layouts dungeon, are really interesting, too. 
Yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. And all the dungeons look sort of unique in a way. Um, and they have unique enemies. Uh, dungeon 7 is where uh, Kirby is. You can fight actually Kirby, and he's my most hated enemy in the game. Very frustrating to fight because he'll jump higher than you and you can't hit him. Yep. Um, because he's Kirby and, and he's I, Kirby Land. Well, it's not Kirby Land, so you could probably take him out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, there are places where it's inconsistent with how the rules work and it makes you frustrated, in my opinion. Um, same thing with, like, uh, there's this one room and it's just that dungeon, really. A lot of the dungeons I really loved. Um, this one, Dungeon 7 in particular. Um, you you go in and uh, there is a boss key and in every other dungeon thus far the boss key has opened the room to the boss fight. In this one it opens the room to another room in the dungeon where you have to figure out more puzzles. Um, why? Yeah. Why do that? I mean to, I guess to I don't know to discourage you? It, it's just like what I, I open it I'm like alright I'm, I'm on it and you know I think it was in service of something really cool because the uh, the boss fight ended up being really awesome. Uh, the boss fight is on top of a, of the castle it's in a 2d format and you're fighting this giant vulture that keeps like trying to swoop down and kill you uh and it ends up being this really cool moment because it's so visually distinctive and it's so different from any of the other dungeons you've played um but to me um it's a moment that is incredibly frustrating because it's like oh all of the rules you knew about before the, those aren't real yeah sorry you you know how a boss key opens the boss room no not here sorry solve another puzzle and it's like, okay, I don't know how to get to the boss now. And I figured it out pretty quick, but it was just like, it, it, there was some weirdness. Maybe it I was meant as like a buildup or something. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's probably what they were going for. And in the end, it was still a really fun boss fight. So I'm not too mad at it, but it was very, very strange in my opinion. Yeah. So um, just uh, just a little thing, uh, you know, the music, right? There's a lot of things in this game that you don't have to do in order to beat it. Right. Um, I found uh, two songs. There is one I still haven't found, and I have no idea what it does, what it unlocks. I beat all the dungeons. I don't, I don't know what else I needed, uh, but apparently there's something you can unlock with, with another song, and I, I have no idea what it is. Uh, it's very, very strange. There's Marin's... It's uh, uh, Marin's Ballad of the Windfish and a Frog Song, and those are one and three. It's and Rick, there's a the second one. It's Rick. It's Rick Astley. Oh no! <laughs> oh, got Rick rolled by Zelda. Oh. Well, um, overall, though, I would say I think the gameplay is really solid. Um, it just had some issues that were so incredibly frustrating that they really stick out in my mind. Yeah. And I remember those and I'm like, ah, man, that wasn't really cool. That was not fun for me. Yeah. The gameplay for me was really solid and it was what I would expect uh-huh. from any Nintendo Zelda game. Like the, yeah. I, at no point did I feel like, oh, these controls suck or, oh, I hate this, right. this enemy to the point where I'm going to quit playing or, this right. item is useless. Why is it here? Other than maybe the bracelet should should have been in a different spot. Besides that, and and right. the inventory system is a bit antique, but yeah. the gameplay itself is pretty good. The design, I think, hasn't aged very well in some of the dungeons, like you said, with the puzzles. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of backtracking. Um, there's a lot which, of backtracking, but I think you have I, to kind of do. I'm split on. 
You have to kind of yeah, do it I'm, because I'm, it's a smaller it's a smaller game. They have to make it. It's a smaller world. Worth yeah. your forty or fifty dollars or how much it cost when you originally bought it. You know, and, and it was right. the, and, the backtracking wasn't great, but you know, it didn't bother me that much. Mm-hmm. Because you backtrack, but you get to usually backtrack with a new toy, <laughs> you know, like yes, go out uh-huh. to get the bracelet and and like oh, I have to go back to town, but at least I could just lift that rock up and get in quicker now, you know. Right. Sometimes I would I would call it a Metroidvania light. Yeah. You know, I would say this game is it has backtracking like a Metroidvania, where like you said, you get a new toy. And you have to go back and figure out how it interacts with these other places that you've seen before. Um, and that's fun because you're discovering new things. You're getting new items. You're getting seashells for whatever the end goal of getting the seashells is. I ended up getting like, uh, I think, 17. So I'm close to getting all of them. But I just haven't gone through and, and, and gotten them all yet. Um, but you go in and find like, you know, these hidden areas. And that that becomes exciting. And it, it feels more like a Metroidvania than... Um, I think the Zeldas that came before it because of the item gating that they use. Yeah. Right. They, they give you methods for traversal yeah, that's, and, uh, that's very and items to like break open items. Yeah. You know, it definitely feels like it's, it's pulling from Metroid. And I, I think in a good way in this game, yeah, for sure. And maybe, maybe not so good in later Zeldas, uh, where the, the backtracking wasn't fun, where you're gated off from stuff where it's like, just let me play. You know, like, I feel like it eventually got a little oppressive Um, where this one isn't super linear because a lot of the items give you the ability to explore new areas on your own. Yeah. Um, I spent I spent a lot of time in between dungeons, like going to places that I had been before and exploring. Like the creepy Um, sleepy dungeon. I don't know what that 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 was about. Yeah, that was really interesting. I think it was just to emphasize the fact that the, the world was a dream. Um, yeah. They have this dungeon where you you go to bed and you wake up in a place with these like creepy dudes who mirror your movements and you have to jump. be able to jump over them or figure out how to how to fight them or or block them um, and get some items. Um, so you you get these really cool ways to traverse where some of the other Zeldas the the gating is very linear and there's not much left to explore in those new areas there's not a lot of fun left to do um i'm specifically talking about skyward sword i, I uh it's very empty <laughs> yeah i don't remember much of it but i do remember it being very empty yeah where it's not it's not like ocarina of time where backtracking like it's a smaller area and backtracking often like gets you rewarded yeah uh, like people talk about it being linear but i i really enjoy the uh the world of Ocarina of Time because there's so much to do and not quite as much as, as Majora's Mask, but yeah. Yeah. So, uh, anything else you wanted to say about gameplay before we move on? Um, not really. I mean, like I said, the gameplay was solid design, a little bit aged, but yeah, other than that, yeah, I mean, it was a pretty good game Pretty good. I don't have anything really to mention about it. All right, dude. Well, let's move on to our final thoughts. Uh, would you hit reset? Would I hit reset? Would you like play? Would you would you play this all over again? Would I hit the retro reset button? <laughs> play it all over <laughs> again. See, I worked the title of the show in. See how I did that? That's, that's pretty, good. That's good. It's pretty clever. I'm gonna give myself a pat on the back for that. Uh, that's yeah, that's a good, good one. Good work. Uh, probably. Um, I haven't finished yeah. it yet, so I wouldn't hit reset just mm-hmm. yet. But right. um, I. Like if I'm on a plane or something, yeah, I'd probably bring it up and play it. 
I think yeah. You think it's worth playing today for for like most most players? If if you if you have a Zelda itch and you've already played Link Between Worlds, and mm-hmm. you, you don't know what other Zelda to play on handheld, yes, DX is definitely a yeah. good choice. If you want a top down Zelda experience, this you can't go wrong with yeah, this game. It, it has. Um, its... I would say I think I think the Oracle games are better. I think they improved on the formula, um, and there's a lot more to explore there. But that's just me. Yeah, I haven't played them, so I don't know. But just from my point oh, of view, we will. From my point of view, yes. I mean, it's it's definitely yeah. a game worth playing. There's a little, obviously, the controls and scheme and and how the inventory mm-hmm. hasn't aged very well. But besides that, it's it's actually a really solid game. I would say the optimal way to play this game is on the 3DS, unless you have some modding skills. In which case, get it on a backlit, um, uh, get it on a on a backlit uh, Game Boy Advance. Yeah, original. Like mod a Game Boy Advance because the SP, uh, I don't think will let you play original Game Boy games. Is that right? I have no. no that's the DS. That's that, that's, that's the, DS. the DS. You can yeah. still play. Yeah, the DS. Um, Game Boy yeah. Advance. As, Game Boy Advance SP is fine. I just think the form factor is a little bad. Um, but that's just me because I have huge hands. Um, the Game Boy Advance SP. Uh, the Game Boy Advance original is easier to hold for long periods of time. So. The true optimal way to play this game, I think, would be getting a Game Boy Advance, learning how to mod it with a backlight uh, to make it an AGS-101. Or you could find then, someone who knows how to yeah. buy it from them or something. Yeah, you could do that. And then play Game Boy, uh, play it on there um, in beautiful, you know, backlit color uh, because the start button is nearer. Yeah. Uh, but if you're not, if you don't have a problem with hitting the start button that is a billion years away from the other buttons uh, on your 3DS, then uh, play it on 3DS. I don't know. It might be a little bit easier if you have bigger hands too because they pretty small hands. Uh, I have huge hands, and it was a huge pain in my butt. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was it was frustrating, she, and also when you wanted to save the game, you had to like hit the start and select and all the all the other buttons at yeah, the same time. Not... And it's almost impossible for, to do on the three D. Thankfully, that's just for save states. To actually save the game, you can just turn it off. It saves the last room you went into. It does. No, that's that's for saving the game in natively inside the game. And I I tried to save natively rather than using uh, suspend points. Um, because I wanted to do it legit, you know. Yeah, I, I wasn't. I it was just. It was like mash all the buttons, please. No. Yeah, and it's too <laughs> frustrating. Yeah, it is. It is super frustrating. I kept doing it for whatever masochistic reason, but it's just for the uh, yeah. I I agree with you though. I I think it's worth playing today. I th- I would pick it up for sure. Um. All right. Well, uh, we will be right back with some uh, fan submissions on our tip hotline. <laughs> Okay, guys, welcome back to the Retro Reset Tip Hotline. Oops, I don't so, know what uh, that was. F- that was a firecracker. <laughs> Fart joke. So the first message, the first message we got was a text, um, and the name doesn't show up. So if you would like us to say your name or a name, uh, please include it um, so that we can, you know, credit you. And if you, I mean, uh, but I, but I'm pretty sure I, this one doesn't have any uh, any contact information. But I'm pretty sure this one came from uh, a friend of the show. Uh, his name's Michael, um, and he used to LP with us back in the day. Oh, back in the back old when we were doing uh, back in the Let's Play days. Man, yeah, I still do that occasionally. What are you talking about? Well, yeah, but back when we were like you know really running on all four cylinders yeah. and doing streams and and uh, contests. Well, one of the like cool that. kids, basically. Yeah, man. Back before uh, back before the big LP boom and everybody started doing it. Yeah, we LP'd before it was cool. <laughs> you pay basically. We're, um, we're, the, we're the one of the first uh, Let's Players, actually. First, we actually invented the trend. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we definitely invented it. Yeah, we're, t- we're too cool for school. Yeah. 
so Michael's uh, tip, uh, he says, not really a tip or anything, but I like to go to the Windfish Egg after every dungeon and play the Ballad of the Windfish so you can hear the progression with each added instrument. And I think that's that's a pretty good tip. See, I, I came there a couple times and listened to it. I didn't listen to the whole thing, but it's neat to hear it sort of build on itself. Yeah, see, I didn't even know you could do that because I didn't know where the egg was. I never found the egg. Yeah. So apparently oh, no. it's it's and it's accessible right pretty early in the game. It's relatively easy to find pretty early I'm, in the I game. I guess I'm yeah. real dumb because I missed it. Okay, completely. That's okay. So I didn't get to see the giant egg. I guess I could still go back and see it. I mean, I don't know what I'm complaining about. I can go ch- kiss my <laughs> lucky giant egg. Uh, <laughs> so our next um, our next but, uh, uh, voicemail. Thank you, Michael, for saying that. By the way, appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, man. All right, here's our next voicemail from Will Rogers, uh, who has a podcast called Guide to the Unknown. Hey, this is Will Rogers from the podcast Guide to the Unknown, and I'm also the writer of Blackwood. Uh, I have a lot of fond memories of the game, The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. I played through it countless times. I used to challenge myself to see if I could beat it in a single sitting, in a single day. I used to play it um, in the car when we would take family road trips. Um, it's one of my favorite games of all time, and I'm really excited that you're talking about it. I have a, a, a sort of secret that I'm obsessed with in uh, Link's Awakening. It's not so much a secret that you can explore in the game. Uh, the shows that I do are all about folklore and horror and, um, I don't know, misinformation and rumors, so I don't know how valid this is. But I've always felt like there was a sort of dark undercurrent to the story of Link's Awakening. Um, it all takes place inside a dream. The dream is being haunted by nightmares. Um, and there are, I've heard, connections to the show Twin Peaks within the game. It's all about a small community of, you know, sort of eclectic weirdos, just like Twin Peaks. But, yeah, you meet, like, uh, really oddball characters that break the fourth wall and reference the fact that they're in a video game. Um, and it's all about who the dreamer is. Does anyone know who the dreamer is? In a weird way, the video game is inspired by Twin Peaks, but it wouldn't be until season three of Twin Peaks, the show, that they would begin talking about dreams using very similar language. So in a weird way, it's almost like they influenced each other. Um, other than that, if there's a, a specific secret in the game that I particularly like, uh, the relationship between the main character, Link, and Marin is really interesting. And uh, evidently, if you can get through the entire game without dying, she makes a sort of post-credits um, uh, appearance where it seems like she has maybe escaped the dream world with Link. Uh, it's sort of a death allegory. I'm not sure exactly what to call it, but... Uh, it seems like he was able to free her. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I hope that uh, uh, shares something that maybe you didn't know about uh, Link's Awakening. And, uh, yeah, thanks so much for the opportunity to share some thoughts about this. If anybody uh, wants, they can follow me at Haunted Sponge if you want to talk more about Zelda or horror. Um, yeah, thanks, guys. So, you know, I really appreciate um, this uh this particular voicemail, it, it, it goes into some things that I think we, we talked about a little bit, um, uh, mainly due to this, uh, to this voicemail, sort of the dark undercurrent of the show. I didn't notice any uh, similarities to Twin Peaks, but I haven't watched a lot of Twin Peaks. So true, it's a very odd show, but like, I get the idea of like having like these odd, weird characters who are sort of, um, wacky and, and more than they seem, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, this reminds me, uh, he talks about it being, kind of uh, 
this um, allegory for death and stuff. And, you know, the last dungeon is really, really wild. Um, the, uh, the nightmares come out and sort of become all of these new bosses, and it sort of cycles through several different ones. Uh, one of them is Ganon throwing a big uh, spear at you that spins around. Um, and you have to sort of uh, react on the fly. Uh, none of the bosses, I think except for one, who um, uh, sort of runs around like the worm uh, in the uh, tail dungeon. Um, that one... Oh, that boss was uh, a joke. It, yeah, definitely. It's super easy. Um, I totally didn't die on my first try at all. Yeah. No. I mean, <laughs> total, total joke, I, dude. We never went uh, over the this rest in the them, review, but man, that game was hard. It was a hard game. I forgot to mention that. Uh, Link's Awakening? Yeah. yeah, it's definitely hard. That a lot. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, but, but, but the nightmare boss at the end becomes a bunch of bosses you haven't experienced before. And you have to think on the fly with your items and sort of come up with solutions. And each of them dies in a different way. Each of them has a different weakness. Um, and it's really interesting. And almost none of the weaknesses are your sword, uh, which is really kind of cool. He was. He says again that dark allegory comes into effect. That is a metaphor for death or whatever. And again, that, mm-hmm. that's something. I don't know, just thinking back on it, like because the bosses are called nightmares, and I, like, I never mm-hmm. completed the game the whole way through. But does the dungeon? Do the dungeons get kind of like weirder and stuff as time goes on? Does the does do the care? Uh, sort of. Do the um the bosses do? Do the citizens of the island start to get worried or act differently or? They don't seem to be really worried about it to me. Um, they're they're not really seeing what's happening behind the scenes. It's the nightmares who are worried. The nightmares are worried about the world ceasing to exist. But everybody else seems to be going about their lives. It's not it's not quite like uh, Majora's Mask, where you see literally like a you know how um, uh, oh it's not Marin in that game. I forget what her name is, but oh I know who you're talking um, about. You're talking about uh, the chick who's waiting on her husband. Or her husband to be. Uh, no, she she runs she she runs the Long Island yeah, Ranch. Oh, Long Island Ranch. You're thinking of Romani Ranch. Romani Ranch. Yeah, my Romani bad. Ranch. My bad. My bad. But that the, the milk weird. is alcoholic, and she gives some to her little sister so that she won't be alive, so that she won't be like fully awake for when everybody dies. <laughs> yeah, that's that. There's <laughs> like. It's so dark, and it, this game doesn't quite have that level of darkness, but there's definitely something going on under the, under the surface that you find out about, yeah. um, which is the dreams. I mean, it's it's nothing we haven't talked about yet. but um, So I think it was really cool, um, and he also, I think, brought up something really cool about um, the post-credits appearance of Marin, um, where she uh, she comes back if you beat the game without dying. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's possible. Um uh, but it sounds really cool. Yeah. I, I would. I, it it makes me want to play the game again and try to beat it without. Yeah, you want to do a no death run? Oh my god, that'd be ridiculous. I don't know. I don't know how soon I'm going to do it, but it makes me want to do it for sure. Maybe it's a possible stream idea we might do sometime. Mm-hmm. But man, that's that's sure. cool though. I didn't know about that. That's a really neat. It's a really neat Easter egg if that's true. Yeah, I would love that, and that's something I definitely want to look at. Um, so our next voicemail uh, comes to us from a person who. Uh, um, honestly, this voicemail makes me physically angry. Oh, um, before we go again, this is. Uh, we'll, uh, I wanna, we want to thank Will Rogers and make sure to check out his uh, podcast, 
if you ever get a chance again thanks thanks so much for sending in a voicemail appreciate it yeah we really appreciate you sending that in it was really um illuminating uh to certain things about the game yeah and, uh, the stuff i didn't know about really really interesting like yeah it could have shed it it shed a different light onto the game i didn't actually have so thank you mm-hmm, for sure um so this next uh, voicemail um really makes me angry uh it, it like it makes me seethe uh, and it's because of myself and you'll hear why in a second hey link's awakening if you want to save yourself at the end from throwing the game boy across the room because you've been trying to like jump over the arms uh using the feather to jump and trying to use bomb arrows like 30 times just uh remember the boomerang exists that's all you need to do remember that the boomerang exists and you will save your game boy Okay, so let me explain to the uh, listeners, if you haven't played this part of the game, at the very end of the game, uh, there's the nightmare boss that I talked about, and its last form has these big giant arms that go back and forth across the screen. The problem is is that you need three items in order to beat it. You have to be able to jump, uh, you have to be able to shoot arrows, um, and you have to, uh, I think there's like a third thing, but uh, I can't remember exactly, but you keep switching items, right? Every time you jump, you have to switch back. Um, in order to uh, do what you need to do. So it's, it's really frustrating. Um, you have to keep switching back to uh, the Rock's Feather. Uh, and um, basically, uh, what he's saying here is that there is a boomerang in the game. Uh, I beat the game without the boomerang. There's a boomerang in the game? There's a boomerang. Huh. It is the item you get. You know those, those fetch quests where you have to keep going back and forth and giving people new items? Oh, yeah. Is that what it ends at? That eventually becomes the boomerang, and I never found it. How far it. did you get? I beat the game. No, I know, but like, what item did you have when you when you beat it? Oh, I got I got right before the last item. Oh, I got there's a mirror. Got, you get a mirror, and eventually it becomes. I think the I think the mirror becomes the boomerang, uh, and it is. Uh, I didn't did not find the boomerang. Yeah, uh, super super mad about it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh geez, that's that's. I guess you just did it on hard mode or challenge mode. Yeah, dude, I beat it the hard yeah, way, the OG way. <laughs> um, um, but thank you for that. Uh, thank you for that because now I know, and I'm going to go back and find yeah. it and beat the game again. Uh, unfortunately, like I think I made it to the stick. I don't know how far along that was, but good to know that there's the a boomerang stick. in there. Yeah, there's you trade it for. Oh yeah, I remember. You give the monkeys yeah, bananas. Yeah. You give a stick, and then mm-hmm. then I that's where I well kind of give up. I didn't have. Yeah, one. the stick becomes something else, yeah. and it's. And so it's and so I, I actually like it a lot. It reminds me a lot of the quests in uh, Majora's Mask. That's the way to do it, though. I um, think is to just have like yeah. a change of items, so it doesn't feel like you're going out of your way to do it. You just kind of get progressively uh-huh. different items by doing these side quests that are also part of the main quest. It's integrated very well. Yeah, I thought that was one of the strongest parts of the game. Um, it's not really a fetch quest because you're not going and getting something else. You're you're finding out what people need uh, through these cryptic hints, right? Um, there's a guy who needs you to get a uh, um, like a a fish scale, a mermaid scale, and you find that out just by talking to him. And eventually, you get that on, and you're like, oh, you know what? I think that guy needed a mermaid scale. Um, and it it you you have this really interesting back and forth where you're finding things out about people and and solving a puzzle really you're solving like a verbal puzzle that tells you what somebody needs um like eventually you get a broom and you when you come back to the town you find out that the old lady doesn't have a broom anymore and you just see it you just visually see it and then you're like oh i should give her the broom yeah she looks like she needs to um, sweep. look i have a dirty floor you there. You need to sweep it. 
<laughs> yeah. There's, there's so you, it makes you feel smart, you know? Yeah. It makes you feel smart like you figured out something rather than just being, yeah. take this to this place, take this to this place. It's not It's not really a fetch quest. It, like I said, it feels like Majora's Mask to me where you're finding things out about people and you're finding out how to meet their needs in, in creative ways. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you very much for that voicemail. Uh, I guess he didn't leave a name. No, no name on that one. Okay. But uh, we do appreciate that. Uh, your uh, for your calling feedback in. Yeah. there. Yep. All right. So our last uh, message, we got a lot of messages for this first this episode. And awesome. I want to say yeah. thank you again. Thank you guys. Yeah. It, it's so cool. We're, we're a podcast that is just starting. Um, and to have um, so many people participating uh, with us uh, is just phenomenal. Um, it's we really really appreciate it, and it's, yeah, especially right outside the gate. Uh, I mean, this this is making this is really getting us pumped to make more, and uh, having that exactly, community here with yeah. us is making it like even more exciting. So, yeah, it's it's it, it's so much more fun for us because you guys are participating, and and to have that on on our very first episode, uh, it warms my heart. And uh, I hope you guys will come along with us in the future. Um, so this last one is from uh, Travis Morphy. Um, and uh, his uh, email uh, says, first time caller. It's uh, <laughs> fine. So, um, Maybe he voice to texted yeah. it. No, no, no. Like, for, like, you know, first time, long time. You always hear on like radio shows. Oh, yeah. First time caller, long time listener. Uh, so uh, Travis uh, follows us on Twitter. Um and, uh, you know, uh, really appreciate you uh, emailing in. He says, hiya, folks. Hope I'm not too late. Uh, and you weren't too late, man, uh, because we had to re-record the episode. Yep. So <laughs> lucky you, man. Um, sure saw it coming. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we honestly yeah. should have. Yeah, it's true. Uh, regardless, I hope this email finds you well. It's an honor to send an email for your first episode of this podcast, especially since it's about my first Zelda game. I still remember the wacky, weird sense of adventure this game gave me, from the 2D sections where I jumped on the Goombas, the Chain Chomp, or throwing magic power on those dangly dudes and slashing them with my sword. Uh, I think he meant magic powder there. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Having recently played this myself, I'd still consider it my favorite 2D Zelda game. Honestly, my biggest issues with it are just trying to manage all those items with the two buttons the game allows. Uh, yeah. yeah. We feel you, no man. No kidding. Uh, <laughs> having to switch out your sword and shield for the rock or feather or grappling hook multiple times on the screen takes you out of it, you know? I imagine that's something a super cute uh, Switch-bound remake could iron out. Yeah. I really hope so, dude. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure Anyways, you want some secrets? He says, anyways, you want some secrets? I got secrets. Oh, got secrets. Oh, I'm ready. I'm First one, everyone knows this one. If you name your character Zelda, you get some funky remix on the character select screen. I didn't know I that. I didn't know that either. Oh, that's cool. I can't wait to try it. Um, but you want the good shit? Okay, I've got you. You ever walk into a store in, in town and think, oh, dang, that bow is 200 rupees. And actually, it's like 900. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I know where he's going with this. I know where he's going with yeah, this. Yeah, I knew this one, actually. I ain't got time to swing a dang old sword at grass all day. I've got good news. Steal it. That's right. Bring out the pantyhose and leather gloves. Pick up whatever you want. Run laps around the shopkeep until he stops tracking you and walk out. Bam. Free stuff. Best part, absolutely zero negative consequences. Trust me. Anyways, have yourselves a swell day or night. I look forward to episode one. I hope you all enjoyed this game even half as much as I did growing up. Travis Morgan. Thank you, Travis. Appreciate it. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the hot tips on how to rob a guy blind. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, I didn't know you could get away with yeah, that. Yeah, you can. I don't know if that's actually you can. Yeah. Oh, I thought I I thought you you would never be able to go into the store again. No, I you know I kind of I wondered that myself because I never did it. 
I never did it, yeah. but I knew you could because I accidentally almost did. Because you could pick it up and be like, uh-huh. I'm gonna walk out. And but I think yeah, it's possible to run around and uh-huh. just. I don't know about the. I've never tried to steal anything, like I said, but I have heard through the grapevine that you can. That's awesome. I I thought you just like got banned from the store forever. Which I think it happened if you don't do the method he said, but um, I'm not actually positive about true. that. Um, well, thanks, Travis. Yeah, thanks. Um, that is awesome. Uh, we really appreciate the hot tips, and we really appreciate the kind words, and we hope you enjoy the first episode. Yeah. Now. All right. Um, so that ends our um, our uh, listener <laughs> participation. Yeah. My brain kind of melted there for a second. Um, and if you guys want to uh, submit uh, something for next week, remember we are playing uh, for week after next. Uh, we are going to play Final Fantasy Mystic Quest for the Super Nintendo. Heck yeah, the poor um, man Final send in those Fantasy. Tips, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, send in those tips to 747-21-RESET. That's 747-27. No, sorry. Seven four, I, I can never get it if it's not in front of me. That's oh, yeah. uh, 747-217-3738. Yep. Toll free. <laughs> or email us. Yeah. Email us at uh, retroresetpod at gmail.com. Also, if you have any suggestions or feedback or anything like that um, for about the show, you can go on to uh, Facebook at retro, was it mm-hmm. retro reset pod at Facebook? Yep. And I guess. Yeah. Retro reset pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Yeah. That's our username everywhere. Yep. yep. So. Um, so uh, now let's move on to our check-in. Now, we didn't talk about this in the beginning of the episode, but uh, for some games where we can't finish them in two weeks, but we want to do a deep dive, we're going to be playing them over time and giving you some updates at the end of the episode. So if you're still here, welcome to the secret section. Yeah, uh, we are, We're going to be talking about the game we're going to be playing in the future. Uh, it's a little bit longer. Yeah. It's Chrono Trigger. Chrono Trigger. Yeah. Oh, man. Chrono Trigger is my favorite game. Yeah. I'm so excited to play it. This is a game that uh, you've been uh, that Alan's been getting me pumped about playing for a long time. I just got it on the I got it on the mm-hmm. DS a while ago, but I never got around to finishing it. And, and you know, it's about time. It is. It's a. It's, it's just. It's clever. That that was actually the the tagline. Of that the game. is. It was. It is. It is. And it's like a tagline it in, in my life too. It's about time oh, to totally. play Chrono Trigger. That is about time. Yeah. That was like a triple pun. Congratulations. That was, uh, oh, yeah, that dude. was pretty cool. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Chrono Trigger, actually, um, I play it just about once a year now. I um, I love it. It is just, it's so nostalgic to me. It, it never gets old. Um, so I'm really pumped to play it. Yeah, so, then, uh, so, they hold, they'll, so we're going to do a check-in of it. So we're going to go ahead and... Uh, for those of you, I guess to give it a little bit more alliteration uh, or elaboration, mm-hmm. we're gonna we're yep. gonna briefly go over the next few episodes, kind of give you an update as to where we are. Then eventually we're gonna do like a big episode where we just like gush on it, which is because what we're what we're gonna do. These long games are gonna be yeah. games that we both like really really like and uh, want to just like Usually, yeah. go like just fanboy over for a while and then go in real deep dive about its background and stuff like that and like. Uh, yeah, I think we'll even probably talk about the development of the game. Yeah, and we'll talk about um, it'll be it'll be similar to what we did today because uh, this is one where we did a lot of research. We liked the game, and I finished it. Yeah, um, but we'll 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 get into a little bit more detail with um, with something like Chrono Trigger. Yeah, we're gonna sure. start because there's there's a lot of interesting things about Chrono Trigger as far as like mm-hmm. the the character development and because uh, yeah. the. Is the guy who did Chrono also did uh, DBZ guy, didn't he? Is it the same dude? 
Yes, Akira Toriyama yeah. uh, did the art. He he did the character designs for this, which is part of the reason, uh, and we'll get into this in the episodes, part of the reason it, it appealed to me more than Final yeah. Fantasy so. uh, is because the art uh, was something I recognized. Yeah. But. So yeah. um, so where are you? What's, uh, what's um, your status? I with? have uh, got finished. I just got Robo, went through the end of time, uh-huh. and it's yep. uh, got my powers, got all powered up. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, met Mr. Specchio, who gave me my powers. And then I went mm-hmm. and we went to the BC Times, fought some dinos, and I'm currently in the tribal lands talking to yep. some guy about some red crystals. I don't know. But wow. um, you're actually ahead of me, which is uh, pretty funny. Um, and, you know, I, I think I'll probably say this now. I think I'm going to switch over to playing on this Super Nintendo. Oh, game. yeah. Um, yeah, uh, you have a new game plus waiting on you there, aren't you? Exactly. That's that's what I'm saying. Like, I want to eventually beat the the DS version because it has an extra boss. Um, but you can tell me what that's like. Uh, but for me, I think I'm going to try the new game plus and see what that that's know. like, so we can get a full picture of of like both versions. I don't really know game. what the extra boss looks like. I can't wait to gush over this game though, because like, yeah, oh, there's just because you go back because if I would have found this as a kid, I would have just went nuts over it because like there's nothing like yeah. it. There's nothing. I mean, it's similar in the vein of like turn-based strategies with other Final Fantasy games, but it's different enough to where it's just it's mm-hmm. its own awesome thing, and we'll get into it. Chrono in Trigger was uh, its own episode. Yeah, but. in the in the episode, yeah, Chrono Trigger is definitely like a dream team. Like it had all the right things at all the right times, and really hits a lot of chords with me personally. Um, it was the first game that ever made me cry. Uh, and you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a person who cries like at, at movies. And stuff, Everybody but, um, hurts sometimes. <laughs> uh, but it definitely, uh, it definitely resonated with me. So I can't wait to share that with you guys. And, uh, we'll be giving little updates on where we are just every week, just talking about that. Um, so, uh, I think that's about it for today, man. Yep. Yep. Uh, so again, uh, follow us on social media if you want to uh, hear more. Um, we are on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as Retro Reset Pod. Um, and if you want to help out the show and help us uh, boost up in the ratings, uh, check us out on iTunes. And uh, if you can, leave us a review, and maybe we'll read it on the Heck show. Yeah. Also, uh, the we already went over the ways to contact us for tips and hotlines, but you can also give us feedback through the Reset Pod uh, Gmail at Gmail. Uh, uh, retro retro reset yeah, pod at gmail.com. That one. He's he's got all he's got all the right ones. I got it. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I speak English can good. Yeah, man. Uh so um stay tuned. Uh next week we are gonna be doing an extra not extra lives, that was our yeah. other podcast. Uh next week we'll be doing side quests, <laughs> which is our um our our sort of in between so that you guys have something to listen to yeah, it's gonna be a little bit shorter uh, on, it's gonna be gonna be fun yeah a little bit shorter a little bit fun we're gonna talk about retro collecting uh, reproduction cartridges and how to avoid getting scammed when you're uh, trying to buy and create a collection online yeah, and how to check it's always important yeah. to check but we'll go over mm-hmm. that in the next episode for show sure. that'll be the next one and then maybe maybe at the end of that episode we'll let you guys choose kind of a topic maybe yeah, yeah send us in. Uh, send us in what you'd like to hear from us. Yeah. Or um, a game you'd right, like man. us to play. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, send so us a message. Door. Get us on uh, on uh, social media, and we'd love to hear from you. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, until then, we're hitting reset. <laughs> <laughs>